If you're visiting, my name's Kelly. I serve as senior pastor here at the church. It's a privilege to open God's Word together. Uh, this morning, we continue in the book of Deuteronomy. We're in chapter 5. There, Moses revisits uh, each of the Ten Commandments, and we're looking at them one at a time over the last few weeks. This morning, we're at the Ninth Commandment, which prohibits lying. One of my favorite comedies is the movie, Liar, Liar, just for reference. How many have seen this movie? Good. Jim Carrey plays the lead role of a lawyer, someone who's professionally sworn to tell and protect the truth, someone who's supposed to play an integral role in the justice system as a seeker of truth. Unfortunately, Carrey's character is a consummate liar, convinced that the only way he can get ahead in his legal career, as well as survive as a husband and a father, for that matter, is to lie. His lying habits are self-preserving. They're fueled by fear, greed, self-interest. Of course, this drives a wedge between him and his friends and family. And it's his son that finally calls him on the behavior, frustrated with his father's inability to keep his promises, to tell the truth, he makes a wish over his birthday while sitting in front of his cake. His wish is that just for one day his dad would be unable to tell a lie, that his dad would, be, would have to tell the truth. And of course, the comedy of the movie is built around how difficult it is for someone who has made a habit of lying to begin telling the truth. There are all types of really awkward and funny situations as people ask for Carrie's opinion on smaller matters like when his coworker says, what do you think of my new hairdo? <laughs> to larger matters like when cops ask, a cop asks him, do you know why I pulled you over? In both cases, Carrie's character would have formally lied of, out of convenience and self-interest, but once unable to do so, once unable to lie because of his son's birthday wish, his life grinds to a halt. He doesn't know how to make his way through life. Now, there is a moral component to the commandment that we're going to consider this morning, for sure. But there is also a, certainly, a cultural component to considering this command. And I will be honest with you, I'm not primarily raising the movie Liar, Liar simply to juxtapose lying and one who's built his life around lies to truth-telling and the, the moral importance of truth-telling. I, I actually am raising Liar, Liar to prompt a cultural question. I genuinely wonder whether Liar Liar would be funny to audiences today. It was released in 1997, if you want to feel dated. 25 years ago. A lot has changed culturally in 25 years. And for something to be funny, have you ever considered what makes something funny, why you don't laugh at British humor or you don't laugh at Australian humor? We share the language. Why don't we laugh? 
Or maybe we, we would say, say to ourselves, oh, I get British humor. But why? For something to be funny, for a comedy to make people laugh, tension must be created. Have you thought about this? The tension is created as people push the boundaries of acceptable behavior, and I'm not sure that there's sufficient cultural tension around lying to make the situations in this movie funny anymore. Truth has become so malleable in our culture that I wonder if anyone would feel any tensions while sitting to watch this movie. I hope so. I hope that people would laugh, but I genuinely wonder if the movie title is even understood by many within our culture. I'll give you an example. For comedic tension to be created around Jim Carrey lying to his coworker about how attractive is her new hairdo, do we have that picture? For Jim Carrey, for cultural tension to be created around Jim Carrey lying to this lady about how attractive is her new hairdo, then a culture must recognize objective standards of beauty and human decency. Follow me. The movie Liar Liar only works if honesty about what is beautiful and decent treatment of others is valued. It was funny 25 years ago because truth wasn't being assaulted the way it is today. I was in Iowa yesterday for a, a wedding. So we stayed overnight in a hotel room. I'm thumbing through the hotel channels and I, we were watching some show and the commercial comes up. And I don't know if you've seen the advertisements for this show, but the title of the show is Evil. That's the title of the show. And of course, the commercial to advertise the show is absurd. It's absurd, it's outrageous. And I thought to myself about this morning's content. So work with me here. For comedy to work and for drama to work, there has to be tension. The people watching it have to feel something. There has to be an emotion provoked through the tension. When truth is set aside, entertainment must become more outrageous to create tension. Are you following this? If truth is set aside, then for something to be entertaining, to create the tension needed to either laugh, feel fear, or cry, it has to become more provocative. It has to be nuts. I, I looked at the commercial on the television and I thought, this is a direct outcome of the fact 
that entertainers are having trouble creating tension. Truth usually falls into three categories. There, there could be four or five categories. There is um, subject, subjective truth. That's the truth from my perspective. And I, I think uh, um, green is the prettiest color. That's subjective truth. Then there's normative truth. Normative truth is the truth that we all collectively affirm. There's subjective truth, there's normative truth, the truth that we all affirm. We all think green is the best color out there. Then there's objective truth. Objective truth is truth that's independent of the individual and the collective. It exists regardless of whether or not we ever recognize it. Two plus two equals four is objectively true. Hitler ruled Nazi Germany is objectively true. It's true whether or not you affirm it, you see it. And then there are, there's another category of complex truths, which is some sort of amalgam of the three. Folks, when truth goes by the wayside, it gets really hard to find something to laugh at, cry about, fear. Do objective standards of truth exist? One of the ways that we can determine whether or not we think something's objectively true is by what creates tension in our lives. What we laugh at, careful what you laugh at, or what you don't laugh at, or what draws you in, in as far as entertainment. What creates drama for you or fear? Here's the ninth commandment. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Now, the broadest application of this commandment is a prohibition against lying. That's the umbrella here. This command could be restated, don't lie. The affirmative is, tell the truth. The specific application of this command is much narrower than this broad umbrella. The specific context of this command has in mind a legal setting. The command is aimed at prohibiting perjury, that is, lying under the oath in a court of law, without video surveillance, DNA tests, and the like. Establishing guilt or in innocence in the ancient world depended primarily on the integrity of witnesses, so the immediate, it still does. But <laughs> surveillance cameras and DNA actually help in a culture that's having trouble with integrity, <laughs> right? When a court of law, when it falls down, you should tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, it's nice that we have surveillance cameras when people don't actually understand the oath. We should ask ourselves, why is perjury in specific lying in general such, of such concern to God? It's, let's consider the context to answer this question. God is preparing his people to enter the promised land. This is a nation being birthed. In fact, think the biblical context, they've actually come through the waters. They've just come through the Red Sea. This is a nation being birthed. They've come through the Red Sea. They're actually about to cross the Jordan again. They'll go into the Promised Land. The preparation for their new life, this should all ring true for us in a New Testament perspective, the preparation for their new life is this celebration of the law, the revisiting of the law. This is how you will be formed as a nation. This is how you'll be successful as a nation, Moses is saying. Let me tick off for you the top 10. 
They'd spent 40 years in the desert wandering because of disobedience. They hadn't embraced the top 10 at the base of Mount Sinai in a significant way, and they had meandered in life because of that. Now they're about to enter and possess the land, God's inheritance for them. Moses pauses and presents the top 10 again. Get ready to receive your inheritance. And the best way you can secure your inheritance is by not perjuring yourself in a court of law. If you pervert truth in, in an effort to gain advantage over others, you'll not stand long as a nation. That's true in collectively, normatively, and subjectively, individually. You see, God knows that if the rule of law within a young nation is not firmly established through a strong affirmation of truth, then the foundation of the liberty that nation needs is going to be eroded quickly. There's no lasting freedom without truth. It was part of the third song we just sang. We're children of God. We're free indeed. Why? Because we know the man of freedom that is the man of truth, Jesus. Lying sabotages our freedom individually, it sabotages our freedom collectively. Even today, our, our American judicial system asks people to swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, in the effort to preserve justice and to stand up as a nation and to preserve freedom. So God is concerned about perjury and specific lying in general among his people because he knows that lasting freedom hinges on truth-telling. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, then perhaps you may remember Ezekiel's condemnation of Israel's injustices, their failure to keep the ninth commandment. The rich and powerful had perverted justice, taken advantage of the weak, failing to uphold the truth caused them to forfeit their inheritance, ultimately, the land. Here are Ezekiel's words, by lying to my people, he's talking about the prophets and the kings, who listen to lies, the people listen to lies, by lying to my people, who listen to lies, the leaders lie, the people embrace lies, you have killed those who should not have died and have spared those who should have lived. On this morning's prayer call, which happens every Sunday morning, 745 to 815. Be great to have you there. Former Supreme Court Justice Bob Thomas prayed on the prayer call. Father, we're a nation who has called good evil and evil good. That's what Ezekiel, that's what Ezekiel is saying. Those who should not have died, you killed. And those we've spared, those who, sh who should not have lived. We've called good evil and evil good. We've perverted justice. One example of this perversion, if you're looking for a, a specific application of it, was uh, King Ahab's and his queen Jezebel's taking of Naboth's vineyard. Ahab wanted this garden plot. Naboth told him no. King goes home depressed. Jezebel says, why are you so downcast? I can get that garden for you. And she perverts justice. She writes a letter to the elders of Naboth's city and says, go find some people of low character who will lie about who Naboth is, raise up false witnesses. They did that, and then they put him to death. Ahab swoops in, takes his plot of land. This was 
what was going on. So God gives this command to preserve his people's freedom. But there's another reason as well. God wants us to have freedom. He wants us to be able to stand up straight, experience increasing amounts of his joy. You may remember from week one in the series, these commandments were a part of a covenant that God made with Israel. These are covenant stipulations, which means that these laws are not simply rules to keep and shouldn't be presented that way. They're actually uh, invitation to relationship. These laws help us get to know our creator. Through these commandments, we learn about the character of our God, namely, in this case, that he's truthful. And then, because he's truthful, we know how to relate to him. God is a person of truth. His people are to be people of truth. So the ninth commandment reflects God's concern for justice among the Israelites' historic the theocracy, that is, the God-ruled nation of Israel. But it's also aimed at, at revealing a much diff, di deeper level, this concern that we would be like him and we'd be in relationship with him, that our character would mirror his and so that birds of a feather would flock together. Be holy as I am holy is the invitation. That we would enjoy his character. Look at how the character of God is described in the Old Testament book of Numbers. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? These are rhetorical questions. He speaks and then he always acts according to what he says. He never misleads us. He gives a promise, he keeps the promise. He never lies. Sin is any attitude or action contrary to the character of God. Here we see that God is truthful. He does what he says. And so we know that we're out of step with his character anytime we, we don't live a truth-filled life. And truth is more than simply what comes out of our mouth. It's actually uh, also how we behave. Why is God concerned about perjury, lying? because he doesn't perjure himself. He doesn't lie. He calls his people, men and women, to be people of truth. Here's a New Testament uh, verse on his character. This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. He never perjures himself. There's no shadow, no darkness at all. There's no shadow. If you're familiar with character inventories like Myers-Briggs, the disc inventory, the PF-16, those types of personality, Enneagram, personality inventories, they're fascinating, they're helpful. They often have a shadow side because we are mortal. We don't dwell in unapproachable light. There is shadow in us, darkness in us. Not in our Father, not in our Creator. God is light. In Him there's no darkness. Jesus said of Himself, I'm the way, the truth, the life. Strange thing to say about yourself, that you are the truth 
This means, though, that every thought and word and deed in the man, Christ Jesus, was completely consistent with the character of the Father. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus, there's no shadow side in him. No darkness whatsoever. The only man, person, human, ever to be able to say this. Thus, he's the only one that can lay his life down as a sacrifice for the sins of humanity. Now, I'm convinced that most of us know that we're to tell the truth. However, the real challenge seems to be identifying the truth in any given situation and then finding motivation to embrace it, affirm it, live according to it. I thought I'd focus on those two fronts. Identifying the truth and motivating it Let's begin by listening to Jesus describe our enemy. It creates uh, two fairly striking poles. This is how Satan is described by our Savior. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. Interesting uh, parallel between falsehood and death, falsehood and taking life. He was a murderer not holding to the truth. For there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. While in college, I had the opportunity to travel to Asia. Of course, I wanted to bring some souvenir home, something that would help me to remember that part of the world. One of my purchases was this jade vase. Do we have that picture, Jen? Jade is a semi-precious stone. The vase grabbed my attention because I thought jade only happened, uh, occurred in green. That's not the case. Uh, jade has at least seven colors, most of which are in this vase to some degree. It wasn't a real expensive vase. Um, but there's uh, red and black and brown. Interestingly, though, uh, the purest form of jade is white. And in this vase, you'll see that there's a vein of white. This vase was turned on a lathe in, from a single piece of jade. And so it's a single stone. And if you hold it up to your eye in a, in a well-lit room, uh, light comes through the white portions of the jade. So it's translucent. This vase, this vase makes a great analogy for the human heart, which in the Old Testament is often compared to stone. The human heart can be dark, can't it? We can refuse to let the light in. We can be marbled, as it were, having different elements of sin or of righteousness in our lives. We can be men and women that let the light pass through, that is Christ. We can be translucent, or we can just be filled with darkness. Remember, Jesus said of himself, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but will have the light leading to life. Satan was a murderer from the beginning. He did not have the truth in him. Jesus is the light of life. When we lie, even in the smallest way, if we're looking for motivation, we open ourselves to the influence of the evil one, the father of lies. 
Why is it Satan referred to as the father of evil or the father, father of murder or some other comprehensively negative term? Because lying is at the foundation of his, his person and from which all these other sins grow. At the final judgment in the book of Revelation, look at the description of his condemnation. The great dragon was hurled down the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the world astray. How does he lead the world astray? Through telling lies. His first recorded act of evil in the world, not his first act of evil in the world, but his first recorded act of evil in the world was deceiving, lying to Eve about the prohibition to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just one chapter later, Eve's explanation to God was, the serpent deceived me. The serpent led me astray. Believing in telling lies opens us to the influence of the enemy. And it opens us to destruction that, would, that the enemy would bring in our lives. He's a murderer from the beginning. He would bring death into our lives. He would compromise our freedom. He would put us in bondage. Following Christ increasingly brings the light of life, freedom, joy. Toward the end of the movie, Liar, Liar, Jim Carrey is pictured running carefree from the courthouse, emptying his pockets throwing money into the air as if it doesn't matter to him any longer. He had been set free from the pursuit of self-interest. He's pictured running home to be reunited with his family. We all want freedom. If you hold to my, my teaching, Jesus said, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What is truth? Who is truth? Jesus. What motivates to us to tell the truth? Freedom. The participation in the character of God. We want to be identified with our creator. We do that by emulating his character, his conduct, his concerns. Perhaps you're familiar with the poetic turn of phrase, Oh, what tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. Lying brings bondage. Truth brings freedom. So what's our takeaway? I'll give you a couple that occur to me. There could be gazillions of takeaways when it comes to the ninth commandment. Considering our cultural moment, I would say ask, seek, and knock with courage and confidence. God is eager to reveal Jesus. He's eager to reveal Jesus. I am fond of saying to my children, we have nothing to fear of the truth. In fact, we have everything to gain by working really hard to find the truth. And there are a lot of situations, too many to name, in a congregation of attendance of this size. So I'll just leave it at our Savior promised, it's Matthew 7, verse 8, everyone who asks receives. 
and who seeks finds. To him who knocks, the door is opened. Everyone. In the Old Testament book of Daniel, God is described as the revealer of mysteries. That's who our Father is. He wants to make truth available. He made the person of truth available. Christ came, lived among us. And because of who Jesus is, we can with great courage seek truth, embrace it. This means that we're going to be a culture, Lord willing, that asks questions. If we're going to ask and seek and knock, we have to be comfortable asking questions. We're going to be a community that welcomes and encourages study, research. We're going to be at ease with the fact that we are learning and growing, have not arrived. We fully expect that we are a community that has to go on to maturity. We need to grow up. We need to know more tomorrow about who Christ is than we do today. In fact, one of the distinguishing marks of spiritual maturity is demonstrated in an ability to distinguish between good and evil, right and wrong, truth and falsehood, as well as having the habit of consistently choosing what's good. It's not simply recognizing what's true, it's also embracing what's true. The scripture in Hebrews, one of my favorite regarding spiritual maturity, anyone who lives on milk, this is the notion of infancy, spiritually speaking, being still an infant is not acquainted with teachings about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature. And so there's a process here, folks. We move from milk to meat. But solid food is for the mature. Now, who are the mature? Who, by constant use, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. The distinguishing of right from wrong and good from evil doesn't happen overnight, and it doesn't come to the lazy. It comes to those who are willing to work really hard, asking, seeking, and knocking. Constant use. Secondly, I'd say grow increasingly comfortable with debate, disagreement, and even conflict. Considering our cultural moment, and the times they are changing, there is a lot of debate about what is true, disagreement about what is true, and conflict. George Orwell famously said that during tumultuous times, that the restatement of the obvious, that is making clear what is true, is the first duty of intelligent people. In our day, that would include things like restating the nature of marriage. One man, one woman for life. That there is a biological distinction between male and female. And that life in the womb is sacred. Truth matters. Ideas have consequences and bad ideas have victims. 
which means that we need to be more comfortable standing up for the truth. To grow more comfortable in telling the truth, we're going to have to become more comfortable with debate, disagreement, and conflict. Lies are often told out of convenience to avoid conflict, to reduce tension in relationships, which means telling the truth will feel risky, will put us at odds with those we love in some cases. Finally, I would suggest showing love toward everyone, even those with whom we disagree. It's, it's not simply that we need to stand up for the truth. We need to stand up for the truth in a loving fashion. It's never cruel to tell the truth. It's never cruel to tell the truth. But we can be cruel while telling the truth. In fact, we cannot love someone without telling the truth. But we can tell the truth in a very unloving manner. And we need to work hard to avoid doing that. The Apostle Paul says that growing to become mature as a community requires the ability to speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4.15. This means that as we speak the truth, stand up, live out the truth, we're doing so with kindness and gentleness and mercy, graciousness. We're assuming the best of those with whom we're debating, disagreeing, in conflict with. We're offering to them what we long for them to offer to us, a gentle response. Folks, the church is uniquely, once again, uniquely positioned in the world to do this work. We're uniquely positioned. Why? Well, because we have no reason to fear. When I'm most often tempted to lie, it's because I'm afraid. You should take a little moral inventory and say, in fact, it's in the going deeper, which is in the bulletin you receive. Why or when, or for what reason, are you most often tempted to lie? Fear is a huge motivator. But folks, our, as believers, we can relax. The man of truth has come. He's alive and well, seated at the right hand of the Father. We can offer the truth and be at ease which doesn't mean dispassionate. We can be passionate, but there's no reason to be mean. There's every reason to be kind. So much of the debate over truth is fueled by a grab for power. We know where power lies. We don't need to be a part of the power grab. We can be at ease, state the truth. Listen and love those with whom we disagree. Let me pray for us. Father, I'm so thankful for the man of truth, Jesus. I'm so thankful that he has all the power. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. 
I pray we'd be increasingly at ease as a people of truth. Mm. Father, there is a lot of conflict in our culture. Would your church, would that your church takes its proper place as the pillar and foundation of our nation's culture. In Jesus' name, amen.